Good morning. The title of this morning's message is Only Grace Satisfies. This morning, I want to talk to you about being spiritually satisfied by the grace of God. But as usual, I'm going to take the long way around. <laughs> but I will end up in the grace of God that satisfies our heart. So I know that it's very popular for Christian artists to sing about being hungry for God or thirsty, so thirsty for the Lord, or even, I'm so desperate for you, God. I need your presence. But why are so many believers so hungry and so thirsty? <laughs> why are so many lacking so much of God? Is God withholding himself from them? Or at least, is he withholding the best parts of himself from them? <laughs> it certainly sounds as if he is. <laughs> Why else would so many cry out to God for more of God? Surely they cry because they truly hunger and thirst. But what if I told you that they do this because they have believed the same lies that Satan used on Eve in the Garden of Eden. In Genesis chapter 3, we find the ever-so-famous story of the fall of mankind. And it is here where all the lies began. I have it for you in the AFV version. It's called a faithful version. They use a word-for-word -word style of translating from the Hebrew. That's why I picked it. And I'm beginning with verse 1, and it will eventually end in verse 7. We're not actually going to read the entire story. Beginning with verse 1. Now, the serpent was more cunning than any creature of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Is it true that God has said, You shall not eat of any tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may freely eat the fruit of the trees of the garden. but." The fruit of the tree, which is in the middle of the garden, God has indeed said, You shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Now, Scripture only reveals the fact that God told Adam <laughs> that when he ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that he would die. Eve wasn't made yet. Eve was not there for that conversation. <laughs> so it appears as though one of them did a little ad-libbing with the whole, don't even touch it. <laughs> it could be that Adam was trying to be a good husband and protect her just to be safe, don't even touch it. <laughs> and it could also be that she assumed that the tree itself was actually deadly and that even touching it would cause death. We don't know. We just know that they didn't have the word of God firmly planted in their mind. <laughs> that was a problem. Verse 4. The serpent said to the woman, In dying, you shall not surely die. <laughs> in other words, God is actually lying to you. Or at the very least, exaggerating what will happen to you. You won't actually die. <laughs> That's just a figure of speech. <laughs> In the Hebrew, the words is actually die, die. 
You're going to die, die. Do you get it? Die. <laughs> and Satan says, no, not really. <laughs> Verse 5. God knows that in the day you eat of it, then your eyes shall be opened and you shall be like God, deciding good and evil. Most traditional translations use the word knowing instead of deciding, which is correct, but it's a little bit incomplete. <laughs> the Hebrew understanding of this word includes to know by observation and experimentation. In other words, you come to a conclusion. You decide, is it right or is it wrong? So this infers that Eve would literally be in the place of God, in the middle, <laughs> deciding for herself what is actually good and what is actually evil. And if we think about it, this is exactly what an unregenerated man does all of the time. And really, even saved people do it. <laughs> they decide for themselves what we accept as actually good or actually evil. What Eve didn't count on was that even if she ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, she still wouldn't be able to recognize which was actually which, apart from having the life and love of God within herself. She didn't know that she would still need the life and love of God within herself in order to actually use the fruit of that tree, for it to be of any real use. That's why it was off limits to them. They weren't equipped to handle the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, apart from having first partaken of the tree of life, which, of course, is Jesus. And it is, and it is through Jesus that we partake of life, the life and the love of our God and our Father. So, Satan successfully tempted Eve into believing that God was the one who lied. And that he was the one who actually had ulterior selfish motives for forbidding them to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The implication was that God didn't want to share his knowledge because he didn't want Adam and Eve to become like himself. In other words, God was insecure about his throne. <laughs> and he was afraid that they might try to take it. <laughs> now, of course, only Satan <laughs> would come up with such an idea, the little throne stealer. <laughs> he couldn't steal God's throne, so he decided to talk Adam and Eve out of theirs. So, within a very short conversation, Satan implants the idea in Eve's mind that God is not who she thought he was. He's actually selfish, he's actually a liar, he's actually insecure, and he's not the least bit interested in what's best for them. He only wants what's best for himself. Lies, lies, and more lies. And again, she didn't come up with these ideas all by herself. This all came from Satan. Through Satan's lies, he successfully changed Eve's original picture of God into the picture of himself. Ha! Ah. 
<laughs> he stole God's true identity. And when he did, he also stole Eve's true identity. She became convinced that she wasn't already like God. And that if she did the right thing, which in this case was actually the wrong thing, she would apprehend all the good things that she thought God was keeping for himself. So, in that moment, Eve really believed that she knew the real truth about God and the real truth about what was actually good for herself and her husband. Satan had successfully convinced her that she knew better than God. She had judged both God and herself and found them both to be lacking. <laughs> Verse 6. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasing to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise, all the reasons why she doesn't have to listen to God, <laughs> she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. This verse correlates perfectly with what we find in 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 and 16 where we can see that Satan uses the same exact temptations on humans today. 1 John 2, verse 16. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, hmm, that fruit looks really good. <laughs> the lust of the eyes, hmm, it's pleasing. <laughs> you see, stuff we aren't supposed to have it usually looks really good to us. <laughs> like bananas. <laughs> and the pride of life. Eve desired to make herself wise, so it would add value to her. And none of this is of the Father, but is of the world. The word world refers to the spiritual darkness of the current worldly system, which includes the ideas of I am what I do, I am what I have, and I am what I accomplish. I like this uh, same verse in the Passion Translation as well. It says this, for all that the world can offer us, the gratification of our flesh, the allurement of the things of the world, and the obsession with status and importance, none of these things come from the Father, but from the world. It was very obvious. It's the same ploys. <laughs> it's the exact same strategy. He doesn't really have any new tricks. <laughs> and this is the world this world of darkness is the world that Satan offered to Adam and Eve. A world where humans sit in judgment of God, in judgment of themselves, and in judgment of others through their own warped and darkened knowledge of good and evil. We can see this truth in Isaiah chapter 5, beginning with verse 20. Here, God is pronouncing judgment on his people who insist on living according to their own sense of right or wrong. Beginning with verse 20. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe, woe is not good. <laughs> woe is not wait, horsey. Woe is bad things are going to come. <laughs> woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and shrewd in their own sight. Woe to those who are heroes at drinking wine and valiant men in mixing strong drink, who acquit the guilty for a bribe and deprive the innocent of his right. 
Therefore, as the tongue of fire devours the stubble, and as dry grass sinks down into the flame, so their root will be as rottenness, and their blossom go up like the dust. For they have rejected the law of the Lord of hosts, and have despised the word of the Holy One of Israel. Israel <laughs> believed Satan's lies too. They, like Eve, didn't believe they would actually die-die. <laughs> they didn't see or believe that their sin could actually bring forth death. And that's because they couldn't see that they couldn't actually see. They were in spiritual darkness, and they were misjudging everything in sight, calling evil good and good evil. They, like Eve, misjudged God, themselves, and their own ability to actually know good from evil, right from wrong, and life from death. And humans, both saved and unsaved, are still continuing to try to find God's kind of life and God's kind of love by eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, instead of feeding on the tree of life. Continuing in Genesis 3, with verse 7. And the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Here we can see their warped sense of wisdom and their darkened understanding of good and evil at work in them. First, they think they can fix themselves. Second, they think they can fix themselves with fig leaves. <laughs> this shows us just how powerless humans really are at trying to fix themselves. <laughs> Adam and Eve felt naked. They felt guilty and exposed because they were. <laughs> but the fig leaves, better known as the works of our own hands, can never satisfy our desperate, hungry, and thirsty hearts. Our hearts are only satisfied by the righteousness, the life, and the love of God himself. It's what we were originally designed to have, to live in, and to live from. And when we don't have these things, or when we believe we don't have these things, we do stupid stuff to try to fix ourselves. But instead of using fig leaves, we use things like alcohol, or drugs, or food, or sex, or sports, or music, or gambling, or money, or art, or new careers, or extra prayers, or extra Bible reading, or any one of various different kinds of pleasures, all in an effort to apprehend the feelings of righteousness, life, and love that our human hearts still cry out for and still seek. We're always trying to fix ourselves. They don't know it, but humans can't actually fix themselves. And yes, they are broken. <laughs> they are actually broken. <laughs> and that's because they don't have the righteousness of God, the life of God, and the love of God within themselves naturally. And this is what humans are actually looking for. They don't know that's what they're. They think they're hungry for all this other stuff. But it's actually God that they're looking for the tree of life, Jesus himself. And yes, even believers fall into using their own choice of fig leaves to try to fill up their desperate, hungry, and thirsty hearts. Adam and Eve's eyes were indeed opened, 
but not to all the good things that they thought God was keeping from them, <laughs> but to the darkness and to the reality that they had unplugged themselves from the very light and life of God. Turns out that God really meant that they would die, die, if they ate from the forbidden tree. And it turns out that God wasn't a liar. The serpent was. And it turns out sin really does produce death. And it turns out that humans can't actually fix themselves, not even with fig leaves. <laughs> and it turns out they really did already have it all before they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They just didn't believe they had it all. Prior to eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they lived in paradise. And of course, only Satan could convince a human being living in paradise that they were still lacking something. <laughs> they had everything they could ever want. They had a perfect existence. But Satan tricked them into believing that they still lacked something. And it was that something that would make them like God. And in a fallen sense, it kind of did. <laughs> you see, there's actually only one judge who can truly discern between good and evil, right and wrong, life and death. And his name is Yahweh, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. But in humanity's fallen state, we've all become judges who sit in the place of God and who constantly eat the fruit of the knowledge of the tree of good and evil, deciding who and what is good and who and what is actually evil. We judge by what we think is right and by what we think is wrong. And all humans do it, all of them. <laughs> we judge. Saved humans and unsaved humans, we judge. It's what we do by nature or by habit. We judge. We judge God, we judge ourselves, and we judge everyone around us. And the truth is, we always think our judgment is right. Just like Eve. Years ago, when um, I found out my first husband was an adulterer, I told God, I'm mad at you. Now, I was already mad at him, but I was mad at God. He's like, why are you mad at me? I said, because you could have prevented this. I trusted you to keep him faithful. And God said, I never told you I could do that. <laughs> but I wanted you to. So I judged God bad because God didn't do what I thought he should have done. I passed a judgment on God because I know so much. <laughs> <laughs> You would never do that, I know. <laughs> but unless our judgment lines up with God's new covenant idea of judgment and comes by way of the Holy Spirit, then our judgment is wrong. It's true. I hate to have to tell you. Our judgments, no matter how good we try to make them, they're usually imperfect and often just plain wrong. <laughs> and so many believers are judging themselves, judging God, and judging others wrongly. They judge themselves as lacking, just like Eve did. 
and they believe that they are actually, in fact, lacking. How can a believer be lacking? But they believe they're lacking anointing. They're lacking discipline. They're lacking power. They're lacking righteousness. They're lacking holiness. They're lacking God's approval. They're lacking faith. And yes, they're even lacking God. And this is why so many believers are singing songs of hunger and thirst and desperation. They believe their negative feelings and their wrong judgments. They believe the lies that Satan sows into their hearts and minds. Lies like, God is keeping good things away from me. <laughs> lies like, if I could just do the right things, I could be more like God. That's actually a lie. Lies like, I can fix myself if I just work really hard. Lies, lies, and lies. Doesn't matter how many fig leaves you've got, it's all lies. Lies of self-effort and self-improvement. Lies of blame and excuse. It's not my fault that I sinned, it was that stupid serpent. You know, the devil made me do it. <laughs> More lies. <laughs> Believers, often not on purpose, <laughs> judge God as mean and stingy and angry just like Eve did. Both Adam and Eve believed that God was mad at them for their disobedience, so they hid from him. Believers often try to do the same kind of thing. They try to avoid coming to God with their mistakes and failures, believing that God is mad at them and that he is expecting them to fix themselves by doing good and avoiding evil. You know, by making use of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And this, my friends, is what religion really is. It's a fallen man with a darkened mind trying to make himself good or righteous by doing what he thinks is good and by avoiding what he thinks is evil. Religion tells humans that they can fix themselves. In fact, it's their responsibility to fix themselves. <laughs> they can become more like God apart from God or at least they can reach into God's domain if they work really hard. That's every single religion. But this is not what happened with Adam and Eve. God didn't give them a whole list of do's and don'ts. Oh, I see you blew it now, we gotta get busy and you've gotta fix yourself. <laughs> they couldn't fix themselves. They couldn't make right what they had done wrong. God knew they couldn't fix themselves. And he also knew they could not be trusted to not eat from the tree of life, <laughs> which would cause them to live forever in their fallen state. So they had proven themselves untrustworthy when it came to fruit, <laughs> forbidden fruit, so God had to do something about it. God, as their loving Heavenly Father and the only true judge, did for them what they could not do for themselves. He provided coverings for them coverings to cover their nakedness and their shame and their guilt and their sin. But first, he gave them the very first ever I told you so speech. <laughs> and he explained the very serious ramifications of what they had done. But he also told them that all was not lost. God already had a plan 
to get mankind back into his proper place as ruling and reigning sons of God. And he would even use a woman to do it. And then, in his absolutely free loving kindness, not in his anger, he drove them out of the garden for their own protection. <laughs> they had already proven that they could not resist for eating forbidden fruit. <laughs> so because of his great love for them, not because of his great anger at them, he kicked them out of the garden. But he also went with them. I love that part. And I had never heard that preached for a long time. God's mad at them, kicked them right out. No, he loved them and he doesn't want them to kill themselves because they can't resist the fruit. <laughs> he knows they can't resist, so he's protecting them and us. <laughs> I think God had to do a really hard thing. He had to kick his own kids out of the paradise that he had created specifically for them. And they didn't want to go. <laughs> so he had to actually drive them out. But it was necessary for their own protection. It was love. Pure agape love that drove them out of the garden. Not anger and not judgment for their sin. Instead, it was a judgment of their value and worth. God so loved Adam and Eve that even in their sin, they could not deter their father's love for them. And like a good dad, he protected them and us, whether they liked it or not. <laughs> and like a good father or heavenly father had already planned and provided for man's redemption from all the power and presence of sin. God knew Adam and Eve would fall. So God had already decided that he would take the judgment for their sin. It's just such a dad thing to do. <laughs> to say, no, I'm not going to let you suffer that. I'm not going to lose you. I will take my own judgment against sin so that you don't have to. God chose to deal with our sin personally. That's crazy. <laughs> God chose to deal with our sin personally, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, because he knew we couldn't. Adam and Eve really did screw things up. <laughs> they brought forth the power of sin and death, and there was no way for them or us to be able to fix it. But because of our Father's great love for them and for us, he decided to fix it for them and for us through the body and blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Redemption came through blood, not through the knowledge of good and evil. And we can see this in Romans chapter 3, beginning with verse 19. This is the Apostle Paul explaining that the knowledge of good and evil as given in the Old Covenant law and that's because that's what it was, <laughs> is not able to bring a human being into right relationship with God. The law was meant to show humans that they were not righteous in themselves. They were all, Jew and Gentile, actually guilty of sin and therefore subject to death. In other words, they were all going to die, die. <laughs> but God, in his great love, sent his son. 
verse 19. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. God gave the Jews the old covenant law as a means of teaching them what was actually right and actually wrong. <laughs> but he also gave Gentiles, actually every human being, the basic understanding of what was right and wrong by writing it on their hearts. So no one can say that they don't know or didn't know that they were choosing sin. Oh, I thought that was good. Oh, I thought that was right. <laughs> no, God says in our hearts, we actually know. Verse 20, for by the works of the law, in other words, by doing good and avoiding evil, no human being will be justified, which means to be declared innocent in his sight. Since through the law comes the knowledge of sin, it just shows us how far we fall short. <laughs> Verse 21, but now the righteousness of God, right standing with God, has been manifested apart from the law, apart from keeping the rules, apart from the knowledge of good and evil. <laughs> Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God, the right standing that comes from God, through faith in Jesus Christ, for all who believe, for there is no distinction. And he's talking about between Jew and Gentile. And as you can see, I've highlighted, if you will, for all who believe. On the internet these days, there are a lot of grace ministers telling people, you don't even have to believe. Everybody's already saved. Jesus did this for everybody, therefore everybody's already saved. You don't have to believe. Jesus did our believing for us. You do not find that in Scripture. <laughs> it's very clear. It's very clear for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It means they're not perfect. None of us are perfect. But we are all justified, declared innocent by God, by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ, the payment made. Verse 25, whom God put forth as a propitiation. Propitiation is one of those words we never use, <laughs> but it means to have a sin or a debt satisfied. I love that. God the Father is satisfied with the blood of Jesus on our behalf. We don't have to add anything else to it whom God put forth as a propitiation by his blood, and to be received by faith. Yes, it is for everyone, but we have to receive it by faith. This was to show God's righteousness, because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. All that stuff in the Old Testament, all the little lammies being slaughtered, their sins were never actually removed from them. Hebrews tells us that. But God counted it. He says, this is all I got for you right now. <laughs> I'm going to count this as actually working. What it did not do was actually make them righteous in their being. But God credited them as being right so that they could live in the blessing. Nothing was actually paid for back there. It was all on the credit card. God's credit card. <laughs> Verse 26. It was to show his righteousness, God's righteousness, and righteousness just means being right. <laughs> it was to show that God is right at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. 
In other words, it is just that sin received death. God says that's a right thing. He just doesn't want it to be on us. <laughs> so he made a way for Jesus to carry the sin of all mankind. God imputed our guilt to Christ, who then, God in his justice, fulfilled his own requirement for justice and judgment. God took it on himself that he would fix what we had done wrong. God never said that sin was no big deal. Often those who want to debate about the message of God's extravagant grace, they go, but sin! <laughs> sin is really bad. Yes, it is. Sin is deadly. It will kill you, but it won't separate you from God. Not if you know Jesus. And only the blood of Jesus has the ability to destroy its power in our lives. Not the knowledge of good and evil. So, once again, we can see that God paid an infinite price to obtain our redemption, our freedom from sin, in order to be able to righteously make us right with himself. Again, righteousness, being right, demands justice. Justice is sin deserves death. It brings it forth. But God, in his great love for us, provided both justice and mercy apart from the law. Or, in other words, apart from us, having to keep the law as a way of meriting his mercy. He did it all. He paid it all. And our salvation is a finished work. The price our Father and I, Jesus, paid continues to declare the value that they have placed on us and everyone else. They have judged us as being of infinite value to them. And they want us to know it and believe it. They want us to revel in the knowledge of what they have to say about us because they only speak the truth. Eating the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil wasn't just about having something that was forbidden. It was about choosing who they would believe and who would be God in their lives. Eve was deceived into thinking that she could actually do a better job at being God than God could. She really believed the lies that Satan told her. Scripture tells us she was actually deceived. And the truth is, we are no different. <laughs> if we had been there, we would have done the exact same thing. <laughs> because all of us have chosen to do something at one time or another that we knew we shouldn't, just like Eve. All of us have fallen short of the glorious perfection of our Father and our Jesus. And all of us have found ourselves in need of our Father's great grace, his absolutely free loving kindness. So, why did God go with Adam and Eve out into the fallen world that they had just thrown into darkness? <laughs> And why didn't he just give them the law right then and there? They obviously wanted the knowledge of good and evil. That would have been a great time to give them the law. <laughs> but he didn't do that. I believe it was because he still wanted to have relationship with his kids based on his kids knowing him for who he really is. He still loved them. He still talked to them. He was still their dad and their God. 
and he still wanted to teach them how to live out of their relationship with him. He didn't want them living by rules. He wanted them to learn to live by love. He didn't want them living in judgment of themselves or others or <laughs> of God. He wanted them to receive the truth of who he really was and what he was really like. He wanted them to know how valuable they were to him and how loved and accepted they were by him. Now, I don't say this based on what we see in Genesis. I say this based on who Jesus revealed his father to be. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So he has not changed. But his covenant with mankind sure did. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. And it is in this new covenant of grace where we will find the truest pictures of what God, our God and Father, is really like and what we have really become in and through him. In this new covenant, our hearts don't have to be desperately hungering and thirsting for God's righteousness or God's unconditional love or his complete approval or his everlasting presence. We never have to believe the lies that we are lacking something and that we need to make ourselves more and more like God. God doesn't even want us trying to fix ourselves. He's already fixed us. He killed us off and started over. <laughs> he gave us a brand new spirit and a brand new heart. And he got rid of all the old stuff. It doesn't even live in us anymore. We are completely brand new creations made in the very image of our Father. We are already holy. We are already set apart unto him. We are one spirit with him. We can't get any closer to him than we already are. <laughs> We have been made the very righteousness of God in Christ. We can't get any more right. We stand in right standing with God by grace, by God's absolutely free loving kindness. It's a free gift, not a reward for good behavior. I didn't know that for a really long time. I believed right standing came from my right doing. I didn't know that by his grace, I was already made a right being apart from my right doing. I didn't understand that my father approved, what, approved of me? Just because I was his. <laughs> I always thought I had to work really hard to get my father to approve of me. I had to show him I was worthy of his love. Look at my good behavior. But I couldn't do it all the time. <laughs> so when I failed, if we look at my failures, you would go, really, that bothers you? <laughs> I couldn't be perfect. I was always trying to be perfect. So when I failed to be perfect, I believed my father turned his face away until I became sufficiently sorry for my sins and failures. Before I came into the fuller understanding of God's grace, I was always hungry. I was always whining that I was thirsty. I was always seeking after God for more of God. <laughs> I was looking for more power and more of his righteousness and more self-discipline and more gifts of the Holy Spirit. I was always searching for more. And I was especially hungry for more truth. You see, I knew for certain that the word of God was true. 
And I knew that it was the truth that I could be set free from all the things that were wrong with me. <laughs> so I was always looking for the next big truth that was going to help me fix myself. Guess what? That is not the gospel. The gospel is not a self-help program. It's not even a dying to self program. It's a finished work program. Jesus finished all the work that was necessary to purchase my complete and total salvation. And then he gave it all to me as a gift of his grace. I lack no good thing. It was my father's good pleasure to give me his kingdom <laughs> and even his very life. I lack no good thing. Jesus said in John 6, verse 35, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. And that's because only Jesus and his grace for everything for life and godliness is the only thing that can satisfy our hearts. When we know and we believe the truth that our complete salvation is already finished, already fully supplied, and that we are infinitely loved and valued, it is only then our hearts can find the rest and their satisfaction. The human heart is not satisfied by false gods. The human heart is not satisfied by us trying hard. <laughs> the human heart is only satisfied by being made right in the eyes of our Father. Our heart is only satisfied and at rest when we know He loves us just as we are and that in Him we are all the things we thought He wanted us to become. We already are. We just need to believe that we already are. Amen? Father God, we thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you, Father God, that you open our eyes to see the, the amazing graciousness of the gospel. It is ludicrous that a father would so love his kids that he would take the judgment and penalty that they deserve because of his great love. Father, we thank you for your great love. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for your life. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you took our cross. It was ours. It was our death. It was our judgment. It was our punishment. And you said, I will take it for you so you can live and have life and be satisfied. And be satisfied in who you are and who our God is. In Jesus' name, amen.